Good morning, Music Man Mike here, welcoming you to the special edition of Rockopedia. We are dedicating four episodes this month to grunge music. We're talking about Seattle, we're talking about rain and fog and mist, even Portland is in there somewhere, uh, flannel shirts. We're going to talk about the beginning, the middle, and the end, even though it's not over. It still exists to this day. The grunge has left an impression on all of us, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And we're going to talk about that all four episodes in December with special guest co-host Joe Santiago. So don't forget to join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. in December for Rockopedia. I mean, when you think about the whole Kill Rock Stars label, that was, uh, what do you call it, like Bratmobile and, uh, man, there was, there was just, it, it was just a whole, there was so many different genres in the Northwest, but it all came together as a scene. Yeah, and I mean, and on, yeah, go ahead, sorry. To define it as, as grunge is always kind of weird, because there was really only like four or five real grunge bands, the rest of it was just, it was rock and roll, it was like... I think I think the people in the Northwest, and I learned this when I moved there, because it rained so much there that you just kind of hang out in your house and live with your friends and drink beer and play music because you have nothing else to do. You're not going to go outside and play. You, know, you play football in the rain. Like, nah, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I mean, it's fun when you're a kid, but when you get older, you hate that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's you know? too cold. It's, it's, yeah, like when you're a kid, you don't care about the cold. You'll go out and do whatever because you just want to be outside. But when you start getting older, it's like, I just want to like sit in my basement, like drink beer and play music. Like, that's where I started playing music. I never played music. I was always into music. But when I moved to Seattle, I started playing music because that's what you do. Like, you sit in your house and you play music. Yeah, and it seemed like it was really the same handful of bands that were playing to each other. I mean, I, I guess that's how it is in most local scenes once you really get down yeah. to it. But especially during that time, everybody was kind of in this conglomerate and playing to each other, going to each other's shows. And I think it gets kind of thrown out as this massive scene when really it was a, it was like 12 bands that were really incredibly active and everybody was just kind of watching each other. I mean, you had... Well, here, here where I live in Richmond, there's like bands that are like... They're like metal. Like there's a big metal scene here. Yeah. There's like Guar. There's Iron Reagan. You know, it's like, it's a whole like, I don't know. It's like a community thing because it's a small town. Richmond's the smallest town I've ever lived in. But it's a really cool place. And there's like a scene happening. It's been disrupted, obviously, over the last year. But like yeah. there's stuff happening here. But like, and I hope that it stays that way. But what's happened the last year is kind of like, I don't know, kind of bad, but like, I think it's going to keep going, and it's it's like watching that happen. Though it, it reminds me of when I moved to Portland and watching all that happen. And this city reminds me of that. Like when you see a scene happening with a musician, it's pretty cool. Like it's a cool thing. It is a cool thing. I can't say I, I have always been more into like the indie and like that kind of DIY scene in terms of music. I wasn't particularly active in it, uh, but a couple years ago, I was relatively active here in Denton in Texas, and I would go to a bunch of shows. I was helping out with a little bit of booking and seeing kind of that scene emerge, and really, it's kind of, it, it's cool to see these, you know, you'll go see somebody play at some, in some living room or something, or at some dive bar, yeah. and then you go the following week to another show, and then you'll see those same people in the crowd supporting these other bands, and it's, it's always the same bands that are supporting each other throughout the whole thing and it is kind of sad to see that kind of break loose because of all of this i really hope that this isn't because of you know corona and stuff that that's going to be the thing that really kills local shows 
Because there's. I'm no hoping way. it comes back very heavy-handed. I oh. hope that it comes back harder and faster and like more angry because of what's happened. I'm in and a, like I'm in, more together. Yes, I I really think it will. I I'm a firm believer I that after. After all of this, we're really going to go through like a renaissance of music. I think people have had so much time on their hands because yeah. of quarantine that as soon as there's going to be any available space to play music, we are going to see such an uptick in everything. We're going to see music that has not been messed with before. I mean, even stuff that's come out this year has been just absolutely incredible. And some, some I've heard albums this year that I have never heard that kind of mixture of genres or experimentation being yeah. done that I have never heard before. And it's just it's another, there's so much time. That's another thing about the Northwest scene is all those guys that were playing back then, they listened to everything. You know, they, there wasn't, it's not like they listened to one genre of music, especially if you were like a 70s kid. And that's what these guys were said. They were latchkey kids. They were the first generation of latchkey kids. So they listened to every kind of music you could imagine. And then just like started playing music and ended up like, you know, loving Kiss and like Led Zeppelin and bands like that. And they just took it a step further and just like became aggressive with it. And like really the whole like Seattle scene was basically, especially the grunge part of it, was basically uh, punk rock that was heavy. It was angry. It was aggressive. I mean, these were guys that were like, it was the first generation. It was like our, my generation, basically, which was the first generation of like their parents are splitting up. And then that became not a weird thing. That became the norm. Like, you know, like these were kids that were like on their own and just like left in their house and like, well, what do we do? We're pissed off. We're going to like play crazy music and just have fun. Yeah. And but- that's what they did, you know? It's, I mean, those bands, you know, like like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Tad, and like even like the Screaming Tree, Mud Honey, like those guys just they were just friends that hung out. And and Seattle was a small town back then; like yeah. it wasn't a big city. It was just a small town, and no one played there. It was just like they entertained themselves by playing music. Yeah, and they all just yeah. kind of supported each other. And I think that's really why Sub Pop got so many of them is because it really was like all the same people doing everything, like you said. Yeah. Uh, the people who obviously we have like the big three with like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, who was kind of ridiculed for a little bit, and Alice in Chains, but then also like Mud Honey and Tad and Soundgarden were all hugely a part of this and influencing each other. Like they, without Mud Honey, without Tad, there would be no Nirvana. There wouldn't be an Alice right. in Chains. They were feeding off of each other the entire time. And also. When people ridicule Pearl Jam, it, they need to remember that Green River, which Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament were in, that was a band they were in with the singer of Mud Honey and Steve Turner, the guitar player of Mud Honey, also played with them for a while. That band was really the originator of grunge. That that band, like if you listen to the first Green River album, that's where you hear grunge. That's that is the definition of grunge. Yeah. Like, Mud, like Mud Honey is too, but like Green River, like they basically were grunge defined. And that's the guys from Pearl Jam that went on to form Mother Love Bone and then Pearl. But yeah, those guys were like, you know, they were history makers. Those guys defined a music. They defined a genre. Like that's pretty insane. 
It is pretty insane. And it's it's crazy that it happened so quickly. I guess it didn't really happen quickly because this is starting back in like 85, yeah. right? Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say that I know you say like you're a 90s guy, which is awesome. But like all this stuff started, like I guess the first Green River EP was 85. Yeah. And then Rehab, Rehab Doll, their first album was like 88. And at that time, it was like Skin Yard. I think that was like 86 or something. And Soundgarden had done like an EP by 87, 88, something like that. They did their first album in 89 on Sub Pop. Oh, no, that was SST Records. They yeah. were on SST Records. And then they, Soundgarden is what started it for me. I was living in Wichita. And back in the day, you could get, they would have these inserts in a paper where it was like, buy these 10 albums for 99 cents. And you were like, okay. So I fell for that and I did it. And, you know, they went out of the business. It was Columbia House or something. And Soundgarden was one of the records I got. I got uh, uh, Loud Love by Soundgarden. It was like 89. And at that time, I got it and then I left and moved to Phoenix. But inside of that album, or inside the tape, it had it listed Alice in Chains, Mother Love Bone, Tad. I think that was, oh, and Living Color for some weird reason. That's interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, it was. So it was a guy that like I I read albums front to back, like I read everything about him, and I would like read stuff like that. Like, okay, I'm, I like this album, so I'm going to buy all of those bands now. So in '89, I bought all that stuff. And that's what got me started. I was living in Phoenix, and then these bands, because you couldn't see these bands in Wichita. No. So in Phoenix, these bands would come to town. So I would go see them. So I was fortunate enough to see the early part of all these. I saw Nirvana before Dave Grohl was in the band. Wow. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah that's the kind of... I have a t-shirt from that show hanging on my wall. That's actually... That's, 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 that's classic. Do you know what like, year that was? You know, that's... It was 89 or maybe 90. Mm. I think it was 90. It was 90 in Phoenix at the Mason Jar, which is where I saw everybody. Um, that club fit like 300 people max. Mm. Like that's packed. If there were 300 people there, it was packed. Uh, that show, there was probably 150 to 200. So nobody compared to what it would have become? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would... That, that show was crazy. I sat at the bar all night because the, <laughs> and I was young then, but the people in the crowd were out of hand. <laughs> so like, okay. I, I, you say out of hand. What do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? It was, it was like, okay, this was the beginning of like mosh pits restarting. They were crazy. And I was like, you know what? Like I, I can get into a mosh pit. That was kind of mellow that night. The thing was, is Mudhoney was supposed to play that night and they canceled. And me and my friend were going to go see Mudhoney, and we were excited about that. And then they were like, well, Mudhoney canceled, so tonight we're going to have Nirvana. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> this is genius. Like, what a night. And so we go to the show, and the people there were, they were excited. You know, they were overly excited. They were like, oh, Mudhoney was going to play, but now it's Nirvana? Oh, yeah. Because the people there, they knew. Yeah, they knew. You know, yeah, they knew it was up. This is before, you know, Nirvana was huge or any of those things. So people were just like, this is crazy. Apparently, Mudhoney's van broke down and Nirvana was in, like, San Diego. And they were like, oh, we'll play the show because it's still pop. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll go to Phoenix. Why not? I was just like, this is crazy. 
like insane. But yeah, the crowd was crazy. They were just nuts. And they were only, you know, I mean, it was, like I said, it was like 150, 175 people, but like they were all crushed at the front. It was fun. It was a fun show. I remember everyone getting drunk by the end and just like dancing and like it turned into a fun time, but at first it was a bad. At first it was aggression and everybody's pushing yeah, everyone yeah. and yeah. Yeah. And then it became like this like party. It became like a fun time for everybody. And I just sat at the bar the whole time. I was like, this is insane. Just watching I it. I couldn't believe I was seeing this show. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And if you saw them in 90, I mean, the next year they were everywhere. I mean, Nevermind came out and it was just everywhere. They were there. You couldn't I will go never. I'll never forget when Nevermind came out because they had, there was a record store in Phoenix called Via Records. Mm. So me and my friend Eric, the same guy that I went to this show with, we uh, went to Zia and the record went on sale at midnight. It was one of those deals. Yeah. Which it's a, Zia's an independent record store. It's not like a chain or anything. Because, you know, Tower's not doing that because they don't get, they don't know who Nirvana is. So we go to Zia and we pick it up and we go home and we listen to it and we're like, man, and and I, I said this about the Pixies too. I was like, you know, this band is so good that they will never make it. That's what I said about that. I said that about never mind. I was like, this band is so good that they'll never be famous. No one will care. Like it's sad. Yeah. And they blew up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they so became the. I was so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, about the Pixies too. I mean, if if we're really talking about it. Pixies were massive. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, they became famous later, though. That was, and I figured that could happen in Nirvana. Like the Pixies were not famous when they were around. Yeah, they were not a big deal. No one cared about the Pixies. It wasn't until they broke up and they were done that everyone was like, "Going, have you ever heard the Pixies?" Nirvana helped that too. Yeah, Kurt Cobain they like, "We just want to be the Pixies." You know, the like quiet, loud, quiet, loud thing. Yeah. yeah, that's that was Nirvana's deal on Nevermind. That was always their deal, actually. Yeah, and so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's and we that see that scene was Sorry. crazy. But no, that scene was crazy because those independent bands back then they were scarce, and in the eighties, it's just like the late eighties. That wasn't what was happening. But there was a certain few people that were into it, and when Nevermind came out, when like what was it Soundgarden? What was the Bad Motorfinger, that one, like, blew them up. Mm-hmm. So there were just things that happened that, that it just all came together. Allison Chain's facelift was, like, huge in that era. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, that, that became a thing. And it wasn't just sub-pop either. I mean, we did, there were people, I mean, like, CZ and Pop Llama and, like, Olympia K brought Modest Mouse and stuff. Like, I mean, there were people, it yeah. wasn't just... Yeah this grunge scene that was going on, it was also a lot of, it was just the counterculture of music that was happening. And a lot of people, like, Sunny Day Real Estate came out of the Northwest, yeah. and that and that influenced a whole, you know, the whole emo genre, and you get stuff like American Football off of that, and all these, all these bands that branch off and start messing with alternative tunings and all these things. And then you have even the indie scene kind of getting birthed out of this as well. Uh, I mean, Pedro the Lion came out of trying to almost counter the punk scene in a way and yeah. bringing that in. They uh, There were a lot of people who were wow. going to see I never even thought about it that way. But yeah. You're totally right about that. That's kind of, yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, and, and a lot of these yeah. people were trying to differentiate themselves from that. They wanted to be these people who were seen as individual labels without getting put under that umbrella of grunge that was happening to every band that was coming out of Seattle or Portland at the time. And so they really had to stray from that and go 
I mean, I know at least specifically in the case of Pedro the Lion, and I'm only saying this because I spend too much time reading up on him, but his whole thing was he wanted to, because he is from Seattle, he wanted to push his kind of sound out without being labeled as grunge. And so he would write these riffs that sounded grunge, but then he wouldn't use the heavy distortion and feedback on it just to kind of pull back from that. And you had a lot the of bands Seattle thing, The Seattle thing was a problem for a lot of bands, I think. I, I mean, a lot of people would brag on it and be like, we're from Seattle, or their albums would have a Seattle band. Like when the whole explosion happened, that was a thing. I have a flyer of the Afghan Wigs playing in Phoenix. And it says, because they were on Sub Pop, their first album was on Sub Pop. Yeah. So the flyer says, from Seattle, the Afghan Wigs. <laughs> they were from Cincinnati. They were not from Seattle. It's, it's, but that's a tag that people use. Like, it was used to, like, manipulate people to be like, yeah, they're a Seattle band, so they're cool. Yeah, so you like, know what so kind that, of music it's going to so be. And so people, like... Like, like Pedro the Lion, they were like, oh, no, we don't want to be part of that. Like, that's not what we do. Like, we want to, like, be ourselves. It was hard to, like, because there were so many good bands in that era. In that, that, like, time period, timeline. yeah. Yeah, and, and and in that area, they did not want to be associated because they didn't want to be labeled. Because everyone got labeled as grunge if they were from Seattle, which mm-hmm. is a big mistake. Pearl Jam was not grunge. No, Pearl Jam Pearl was Jam, grunge. They were, like, they were like bad company with some alternative lean. Yeah. That's all they were. You know, I, like, I, I mean, they were great, but they weren't grunge. No, they were a lot no, more stadium than they were grunge. And I, yeah. and I don't think that's a bad no, thing at all because no, they're a great band. I, I love the first Pearl Jam album. It just kills me. And those guys haven't let me down since. Those guys still rock. Their yeah. new album is actually pretty good. Yeah, I was about to say, their new album is great. Dance yeah, with Clairvoyance was, was one of my favorite impressed. songs of the whole year, actually. I was I was driving from uh, southern, southwestern, I guess it would be, Virginia, back to Richmond. And it was it, one of their new songs came on the radio. And I was just like, who is this? Like, this is great. I'm like... It sounds like Pearl Jam, but is it? <laughs> is it is and it, it was. I was like, holy smokes. Like, this is great. Like, I was glad. And the girl, I was with, she was just like going, I can't believe that Pearl Jam. I'm like, yeah. She's like, we have to listen to this. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I was genuinely impressed. I've been disappointed with some return albums as of late. I will say the only people who haven't let me down in the past couple years in terms of return albums, Pearl Jam, for sure. I was, I mean, huge fan of that album this year. Yeah. uh, And I'm going to do this just because I'm a fanboy. Pedro the Lion put out an album for the first time in 11 years, and it was phenomenal. Wow. And I didn't even know they put one out. Yeah, they put it was last year, and it was actually really great. It's all about Phoenix, actually. I think you might like it because it's quite literally oh, about Phoenix. Um, and then American Football put out an album a couple of, or yeah, last year or the year before, and it was great. I mean, huge soundscape, atmospheric, and really a lot more matured songwriting than they had in the past, which I was impressed with. I'll check that out. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so anyway, the whole like the whole like Seattle scene was great, but it was like preempted with bands like uh, there was a lot of metal going on in Seattle at the time. Yeah, uh, there was like TKO, Queensrÿche. Queensrÿche's a big one. Mm. Um, you know, before that, you know, in the seventies, it was hard. You know, there was a lot of like weird music coming out of Seattle. It was just never like a scene, so to speak. Yeah. 
that like Queensryche kind of brought attention to Seattle and but they did it was they they were already when they got big, Seattle was already happening. And then there was Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses who oh man, if you read his first book it, it tells you all about his early days in Seattle mm. and playing in punk rock bands. And you get a really good grasp of what was going on in Seattle. He bought a house in Seattle now and lives there. Like he was in LA and Seattle, but his house in Seattle, he like, he hangs out with all those guys. He plays with those guys. Cause you know, a lot of them passed away and like, yeah. so there's Duff who's like, Hey, I will do like, you know, reunion shows with you guys. He, he does whatever those guys want to do. If they want to play something, he's like, I'm there and he can play any instrument. So, you know, he's the guy to go to. He's a go-to guy in Seattle. Yeah. So his book, you know, it talks all about the early Seattle scene, which is really interesting. Yeah. Because a lot, of, times... a lot of people, a lot of the people that he talked about, he talks about, he, cause he was really young. Yeah. So a lot of the people that he talks about when I got to Seattle, like I remember Kim Warnick from the Fastback, who was his, uh, what do you, like, what do you call that teacher that guide, uh, guidance counselor? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the counselor yeah. that guides people. The one that guides uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guidance counselor. <laughs> <laughs> so she was his guidance counselor. She played in a band called The Fastback. And she got him started playing music. And, like, his first band opened up for The Fastback. And I'll never forget, she bartended across the street from the place I worked at. I bartended at a place called Linda's. And she bartended across the street. I'd get off work and I'd go hang out with her. And the guys from the Shins came in one day. They were playing in Seattle. Cool. And they came in to drink. And they realized that was Kim Warnick. And they just, like, tipped her, like, 100 bucks. Like, you're Kim Warnick from The Fastbacks? And just, like, threw 100 bucks down and walked off. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Kim, you're the f- coolest. Like, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, that. You're just the coolest. Yeah. I'm like, you're just the coolest. That's so amazing. And she was like, that is like so humbling. And I'm like, I bet. Like, that's crazy. Like, you're one of those people. And she's a bartender, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny because a lot of those people who are in these like massive, I say massive, these super influential yeah. people massive, in the yeah. scene. Yeah, massive to a bunch of schmoes who are digging into it. But <laughs> yeah, um, and these massively influential people are just like, they just end up being like bartenders or they're just hanging around. Yeah. I don't know. It's never, it's never anybody who's sitting behind calling all the shots like a lot of people like to think it is. It's just some, like you said, some girl who's you know, bartending and also happens to be the reason why the early Seattle scene was really kind of popping through. The Screaming Trees are another like Seattle band uh, that don't, I mean, they're kind of psychedelic, definitely not pop, but psychedelic, I would call it psychedelic grunge. Okay. Because they had this thing about him and Mark Lanigan, like he just, that guy's a whole story. That guy's book is amazing too. He put a book out this year called Backwards and Week and it's just so good. You can't put it down. Once you start reading it, it it's on. What's it? Done. I, I finished it. I finished it in two days. What's the, what's the book called? Sing Backwards and Weep. Sing Backwards and Weep. Yeah. And he, he talked, there's a period in his life where he put out like five albums already and started doing like solo albums and he was a painter. He was painting houses. That's, and it's just, wow. it's like, that's crazy. That is pretty like You've crazy. done all this work and you're like a house painter, you know? I mean, he's doing great now. Like he's, he's gotten to a point in his life where like that guy puts out like three albums a year with either himself or other people. Like that guy's always doing something. 
He's always doing the something. Hard, yeah, the hardest working man ever. His album this year is like in my top three. Wow, big statement. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great album. That dude, he's amazing. We'll have to look into that, actually. I'm going to write that down. Um, but yeah, no, and it's crazy because a lot of the times these people who are like, I don't know, you like I was saying earlier, like we think of them as monumental, but I mean, they're just house painters. And they just kind of are going about their lives, and you never would even know. I mean, the uh, the drummer for American Football, who's been on in that band since its formation, is just a professor at the University of Boulder, and or I mean, any number of examples of that kind of stuff. You know, it's just people have day jobs. Yeah, there's a video. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Hype? No, actually, Mike was telling me to watch that. He is very adamant about me uh, looking into yeah, that. Yeah, it should, it's really good. It's all about Seattle theme and its early days and what happened to it. But there's, like, the whole thing about Mud Honey is huge. Mud Honey is, like, just a classic. Like, there's the definition of a Seattle band to me. Yeah. But there's... Uh, I think it's hype. There's a scene where he's working at Sub Pop Records. And if you order from Sub Pop, it's like put together by Mark Arm and he has to sign it. Like this package was put together by Mark Arm. Like he works in the warehouse at Sub Pop Records. Yeah. That's insane. Like, <laughs> like he was just part of it. Just, hanging, I mean, hey, they were going out of business since 1988. Like that was their whole, their whole shtick. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's you know he's just one of those guys. I, I remember I was uh, working at a place called the Crocodile Cafe in Seattle, and he had he worked for a uh, comic book, an independent comic book company, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, but they had a benefit show because they needed money, and actually, uh, Bill Still, what's the guitar player's name? Ah, uh, I can't remember his name. He was playing a solo show, solo acoustic, and I was standing there doing the door. It was like four in the afternoon. It was an early afternoon show. Yeah. And it's a table while while Doug Marsh, that was the guitar player, from Bill Still was playing, and so everyone was in that room watching him play. I'm outside of that room, standing at the door, like doing my doorman thing, and at the table next to me is Mark Arm, Mark Lanigan. Tad Doyle and Ben Shepard. They were all just sitting at the table hanging out. I'm like, this is like a dream. This is like not real. Is anybody and actually getting like, this? Like, is anybody seeing these yeah, people like, who are just sitting down here? I was just looking over like, this is like the weirdest thing that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was when a crackhead tried to come in because it was in downtown Seattle. Kind of <laughs> of spot. To so top it all up. tried to come in. Yeah, so she's like screaming and all those guys are laughing at the way I'm handling this. I'm like, He's playing, Doug Marsh is playing an acoustic show, so it's quiet. Yeah. And this lady comes in screaming. I'm like, oh, my God. What the heck am I going to do with this? <laughs> like, now is not the time. Just wait, wait until yeah. the song ends and then clap, and then you can leave. So those guys are just laughing. They're just like, oh, my God. And after she left, they were like, dude, like, I don't know what to tell you, man. That was crazy. Like, you handled it the best you could. I was like, that was insane. I hope I never have to do that <laughs> I wouldn't mind it doing a loud show at night. Not a big deal. Oh, an yeah. acoustic show at four o'clock in the afternoon. Not cool. <laughs> the birds are still out, man. Like it's it's yeah. early. Yeah. It's early. People are getting off work and you're screaming. <laughs> <laughs> 
And all right, Joe. Well, it is 1030, and I do want to save some material for next Tuesday whenever we continue this show, so I'll go ahead and call it here. But thank you for joining us this after or, uh, this morning. Jeez, this afternoon. Oh, my God. This morning. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes, and we will. I'll definitely give you a call, and we'll keep in contact. But thanks for hopping on and sharing some stories with us. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to uh, send you some, like, uh, names of some books and some uh, movies, you know, some documentaries and stuff. And, um, I don't know. We'll keep in touch in the next week. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I'll, I'll do a little bit more research. We'll, we'll, we'll have some stuff for the next show. It'll be good. But thank you. Again not worried about the research. I just think it's stuff you'll like. Okay, cool. I think you'll like this stuff. Yeah, for real. Cool, cool, cool. Right? Yes, yeah. definitely we'll get with it. me after the show. Then let me know because I will take you up on that. But with that, I'll right, toss huh? you guys. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe.